Sister Miriam Heidland, nationally known inspirational speaker, recently spoke at St. Peter Cathedral in Marquette as part of the Charismatic Retreat. She spoke on five separate occasions on May 23rd and 24th on the topic of the healing power of the Holy Spirit. Tonight, you'll hear part three of the series, Sister Miriam Heidland. Okay, so we're going to try this to make sure everybody can hear, so I will do my very best. Um, but what I would like to do is, I just want to be very honest when we say that talks after lunch are the worst sometimes, okay? Because you're all in a food coma and you've been sitting all morning long. So what I'm going to have you do, if you can, this is just for fun, okay? So I'm just going to invite you. I don't have a ruler. This is not Catholic school, okay? So, but I just want to invite you to stand up real quick, okay? And you don't have to participate if you don't want to, but I want to invite you to find one other person. So get in groups of two or three. Okay, and here's what I'm going to invite you to talk about. So first of all, I would like you to think, what was your favorite, absolute favorite dessert as a kid? Okay, what did you absolutely love? Your favorite dessert as a kid, okay, that you were like, I could eat that all day, every day when you were eight, whatever. And then what is the favorite memory associated with that? Because sometimes we talk about like cold chocolate ice cream on a hot day by the pool or something like that, okay? What's your favorite childhood dessert and what's the memory associated with that? And I want to ask you to share it with a neighbor, all right? So go, go for it. If, if, the other person, if the other person hasn't had a chance to share, make sure everybody gets a chance to share. So make sure everybody in your group gets a chance to share. about 30 seconds. You have about 30 seconds left. <laughs> this is so great. Okay, then I'm going to have you look up here, okay? So look up here. So look up here at me, all right? <laughs> it's like herding cats. That's okay, all right? Um, how many of you had how many of you had a favorite dessert that had to do with a holiday like your birthday or Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter or something like that? Okay. How many of you had something to do with ice cream? Anybody with ice cream? <laughs> and let's just go big and go home. How about chocolate? Anybody have something to do with chocolate? Okay. One of the reasons why I do that is because it gets you out of your seat, but every single one of you is smiling right now. Every single one of you, and I love to watch you do this because what's happening in your heart is these happy memories are coming forth and you're smiling and your heart is being healed right there, right? 
And so it's just beautiful of how God, I mean, chocolate ice cream, amen, let's do that, okay? So, but like beauty, beauty heals, beauty heals us. And that's, us, and especially when we talk about the feminine heart and about beauty, there's a healing power, uh, there's a tremendous healing power of beauty. So I, I'm just delighted to, to speak about the feminine heart. I do actually love to speak about the masculine genius as well. And had I known there would be men here, I would, I would have talked to your heart as well. Because can I just say, gentlemen, your masculinity is not toxic, it's glorious, okay? It's glorious, right? And there's so much in society today about the destruction of the male heart, and, and men are beautiful. The way that God has made you is beautiful, and we need you. We need the men in our life to become the best possible versions of themselves that the Lord has created. The gift of masculinity is so glorious, and it's only in the healing of the masculinity and the femininity that comes together that the healing of the nations, the healing of the world, the healing of marriages and family comes forth, right? Um, but what I'm going to focus mostly on um, today is the heart of woman. And I think one of the best, one of the things that I have learned, one of the biggest learning lessons in my life um, that I have learned as I've gotten older and as I've matured um, has been about my mama, my mom. And one of the best things I've learned about my mother is that she's a person. She's a person with a story. And my mom was a little girl once, and she grew up on a farm in South Texas, and they didn't have running water in their house. They picked cotton in the summer in the hot south. They had a hard life. And when my mom was little, she had hopes and dreams, and she had a mom and dad too. And her mama was a person also, right? So I think when we talk about femininity, and we talk about especially our lady, and we talk about motherhood, which I'm going to open our hearts to, you know, we have certain ideas and just certain areas of beauty and sorrow that our mothers have passed on to us because every single one of us comes from a mama, right? And she's a person. So today, I just want to notice, I, if you haven't been with us uh, this whole time, uh, first of all, you're most welcome, and I'm so glad you're here. And you're welcome to stay for the talk on forgiveness if you want to as well. But something that I have been really inviting us to is to stay present to our hearts and what's happening in our hearts, okay? So I'm just going to invite you once again to do that. Because whatever the Holy Spirit is going to bring to your heart in this time is probably what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you about. And you're in a safe place, right? And so the Lord delights to come and meet you just exactly where you are, especially as we delve, uh, we delve into the beautiful mystery of, of what it means to be a woman. There's a wonderful Christian author and a Christian poet, and she, she writes this about femininity, and I just want to read this quote to you. She says, God chose to make his entry point into the world through the holy space of a woman, to unfold, to enfold himself inside of a woman, to drink of a woman, to be held and nourished and cared for by a woman. That's the jolting truth of how God loves women with his honor. This reality where all of us come from a mother and so does Jesus. And isn't it so wonderful to think that God is sovereign. He could have come to earth in any way he wished. But he came as a dependent, naked, vulnerable, helpless baby who had to have his diaper changed and who had to be nursed at the breast and who was taught how to walk. Could you imagine teaching Jesus how to walk? <laughs> he probably hit his little head on the coffee table in Nazareth. You know, it's like just huddling around. And he would have cried when he got hungry like us and when his diaper was wet, he would have squirmed around and Mary and Joseph would have come alongside him and just, you know, talked to him and pinched his little cheeks. Just the beautiful reality of God of so human, so, so little and so vulnerable. 
And the, that reality of when, when, the Lord, when the Lord creates, and we talked about Genesis last night, we talked about the garden. And in the garden in Genesis, when God creates, he creates an ascending order. So you'll notice at the beginning of Genesis, it says, in the beginning, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. And you'll notice that creation, as God unveils creation, it ascends in order as close as to likeness of himself. So he separates the light from the dark and the moon and the stars and, and the waters and the seas and all the birds of the, in the air and all the fish in the ocean and the trees and, and all the flying things. And then at the top of creation, the apex of creation, is, is man and woman. And is Adam and Eve. And it's, it's wonderful. Dr. Alice von Hildebrand, a wonderful Catholic philosopher, she says that because, because God created it, it's kind of a joke, but because God created an ascending order, Eve is the very top. She's the crowning glory of creation, right? This is the most beautiful thing that God has created. And there's a beautiful reality of, of just the, the woman, which I'm going to talk about, just her beauty, right? what her beauty says to us. But we notice that in the revelation of man and woman, that God reveals himself to the world. We call that the theology of our bodies. That in your body, as a man or a woman, God is revealing himself to the world. And for many of us, that's almost uncomfortable. And we're saying to ourselves, like, God's, God's revealing himself through my body, through who I am. And it just goes to show how many areas of our hearts have been and just damaged in, in sin and just kind of the areas of, of brokenness where we have a hard time accepting even our bodies and who we are. That throughout history, God has created tribes and races and languages and nations, and civilizations have come and gone, but he has only created man and woman. That's all. And there's such a profound beauty in that. Because in the beauty of that, God reveals his heart. He reveals himself in a very certain way through masculinity, which is why what we say masculinity is not toxic, it's glorious. And he, creates, he, and he reveals himself in a deep way through femininity, and the feminine heart is very beautiful and how her body is made and how her heart is ordered. And we see the revelation of the two and we know that before the fall, before sin, Adam and Eve were complementary, not contradictory. And they were meant to go together mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and sexually. Man and woman in the gift of one another. So much so that St. Paul says that when a man leaves his wife or leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife and the two become one, he says, this is a great mystery. And he says, and I'm referring to Christ in the church. This whole reality, my dear friends, of how we are made for union and communion, like we said. Why we ache for that is because it's etched into our DNA. It's etched into our hearts. And so often we say to ourselves, well, it doesn't really matter that, you know, my family is broken. It doesn't matter that my mom doesn't talk to me anymore. It doesn't really matter. I'm okay. I'll get over it. And there is no getting over that. <laughs> Those are the stories that we tell ourselves to kind of try to keep ourselves from the pain. But, but it hurts very deeply because we know we're made for that union. We know we made ultimately that what we see in the marriage of Adam and Eve and that icon of man and woman coming together is just that it's an icon. It's a window into how God loves us. That God's love, like we talked about last night, is a covenant love. A love that says, I am yours and you are mine in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, and not till death do us part, but forever. Forever. And that reality of how the Lord reveals himself, especially through a woman, can be seen deeply in her, in her body. 
it, you know, and I just want to, just to kind of bring to your heart at this time that when I was speaking last, our talk this morning about how the enemy is a sniper, right? Satan is a sniper and he comes to, to sow his deepest poisonous arrow in the place where you will bear the most fruit. Notice, notice very closely the poisonous arrows that Satan is shooting at society today. It has to do right with femininity and masculinity. That is not a coincidence and that is not arbitrary because that's a revelation of who God is and how he loves us and how he reveals himself to the world and ultimately our call to be one with God forever. Forever. You know what, let me say this. One of the best revelations of heaven that I've ever read actually comes from a children's story called the Chronicles of Narnia. And if you read that entire series, which C.S. Lewis wrote for one of his goddaughters, I believe. And at the very beginning, in The Magician's Nephew, at the introduction, he says, one day you'll be old enough for fairy tales again. Right? And at the very end of that story, I won't spoil the whole thing for you, but at the very end of that story, Lucy and, and, and Susan and Edmund and Peter and all the, all the creatures of Narnia who have chosen Aslan as their king, they, have a, they enter into heaven. And this is how C.S. Lewis describes heaven. He says, it's like a book which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. In which every chapter is better than the one before. That desire, like we said, is deeply in our heart. And it's etched into the male body, it's etched into the female body, it's etched into our, our minds, our hearts, or the way we're ordered, how we love, how we care, how we bless. And there's a particular way that God reveals his heart through women. And a St. Edith Stein or St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, a wonderful Catholic philosopher who had a profound conversion because of uh, Teresa Babala. She was a, a really very well-known um, Jewish scholar, especially at the time in the 1900s. And women were not known for their academic you know, uh, accolades. And she was somebody who was very uh, astute, very attentive, very brilliant. And she uh, read the Teresa of Avila, the autobiography of Teresa of Avila. She read it in one sitting, of course, right? And she put the book down and she said, this is true. This is true. You talk about it in an encounter with the intellect of truth. This is true. And she had a conversion at that moment and became Catholic. And as, I mean, if you don't know her story, she was rounded up by the Nazis and she was uh, put to death in a concentration camp. Um, and she willingly gave her life for her people. I mean, she could have hidden but she gave her life for her people. Astounding woman, like what a brilliant mind and a brilliant heart. And she says this about women. She says, women, women comprehend not merely with the intellect, but also with the heart. Right? Women comprehend not merely with just the intellect, but also with the heart. And it's one of the ways that God made us, and, and we, we kind of jokingly call it multitasking, but women have a very beautiful ability to attend to many things at once. And it's the way that God has made her brain. Even our brains look differently than the male brains. Our brains, I mean, to put it very simply, are more like spaghetti <laughs> women. Like we have all these intertwining things and we can follow one thing at the next and we're talking about this, then we're talking about this, and then we're picking up a kid who's about to fall down. I mean, we're just doing it all at the same time. And, and that's one of the ways that, that God has ordered us because of the way that we are called to nurture life, okay? Where men are, men are much more linear, they're much more com compartmentalized, and that's the beautiful way that God made them because they're ordered this way, where Adam is out in the garden, he's tilling the earth, he's patrolling the garden, and he's ordered this way, where Eve is ordered toward this way. And so the feminine genius, John Paul II talks about the feminine genius as our ability, right, to be attentive to the person, to receive the person 
So it's very easy for a woman to see a person and to see them in their wholeness and to receive them. You know, even the way our bodies are made, our bodies are soft and our bodies are round. Our bones are actually structured differently. We usually smell better than men, sorry, you know, but you know, it's like just the way that we're, we're made to gather in. And this is what we do. And one of the most beautiful things that, you know, you'll ever see, it's why, you know, some of the most beautiful Christmas cards are what with Mary holding that baby, Jesus, on her heart. That beautiful reality that a woman's heart, Edith Stein will also say that a woman's heart is a refuge where other souls may unfold, right? A woman's heart is a refuge where other souls may unfold. That her heart is safety, her body is safety. That in, in our bodies, my dear sisters, is a space set apart just for new life. How glorious. And whether we actually participate in the direct biological life or not, that particular space that's set aside is indicative of the space in our soul that welcomes new life. It's said that Mary conceived Jesus first in her heart before she conceived him in her womb. That the way our breasts are made, that we give life, that we feed, that we're a refuge, that we're a safety, we're a security. This beautiful reality of our sensitivity, our intuition. And I think mothers, when you become a biological mother, you develop a sixth sense called mom radar. Like mothers have just mom, mom just know things, you know? My mom would call me sometimes on the phone, I'd be away in college, I'm like, how do you know that? Like, I don't know how you know that, but you know that. She's like, oh, I know, I know you, okay, you know? It's, I often use this example, but it's very true. We as women, whether we're biological mothers or not, this reality of, of attentiveness to the person, I often use the example of, say you're going out to dinner with your girlfriends, and there's like six or eight of you going out to dinner, and you get home, and your husband's like, how was the dinner? And you're like, yeah, it was great, but there's something wrong with Karen. And he's like, how do you know? And you're like, oh, I know. Like, I know. I know her. I know her. We went to her favorite restaurant, and she got her favorite food, but she pushed it around on her plate all night long. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. And she was chatting away, but I know her. I know something's not right. And so what do we do, ladies? You go to her favorite, you know, coffee shop and get her favorite $7 coffee drink, okay? And you pick it up, and you go to her house the next day, and you knock on her door, and you're like, hey, how are you? And she's like, oh, fine. You're like, stop it. <laughs> how are you? What's going on? Because I want to hear your heart. I want to know you. And there's a beautiful space that we as women have a wonderful gift of being able to enter deeply into our emotions, into the heart of who we are. It's much more difficult for a woman to use somebody for a purpose. She can, right? Because in our sinfulness, we can certainly do that. But it's much more difficult for a woman to use somebody for her own purpose in a sense of like destroying them and just to use them for one thing. We, we often will control and we'll grasp and we'll, we'll, we'll manipulate relationships. That's part of how our brokenness comes out, okay? But it's much more difficult for her because a woman is ordered toward the whole. I would guess that when you're talking about your favorite dessert as a kid, I would guess that some of your holiday traditions have to do with a matriarch in your family. That every year, everybody comes to your house, or they go to Aunt Sally's house, or they go to the Grandma Sue's house. And there's a formal dining room, but everybody's stuffed in the kitchen, you're all around the kitchen table laughing and talking, and the women are cooking, and you know, everybody's there. And when that woman, when that woman passes away, the women of the family get together and they say, okay, who's gonna host Thanksgiving now? You know, it said, if you give a woman groceries, she'll make you a meal. If you give her a house, she'll give you a home. So much so, ladies, that our receptivity of the other, our receptivity is not a passive receptivity. This is what Dr. Alice von Hildebrand said about a woman. She said, when a man and a woman come together in the marital embrace, 
a woman receives a microscopic seed from her husband and she gives back an immortal soul. She receives a microscopic seed from her husband and she gives back an immortal soul. That reality of, of the refuge of a woman and the heart of who she is. And once again, can I just call like the sign, the sign of the times of what Satan is after, and he's after that destruction in the heart of a woman. And if he can just get us to hate ourselves, to hate the way our bodies are made, to hate the way that God has ordered us in the deep places, well, then he's won his battle. Because of the way that the Lord has made us is so incredibly beautiful. And she's lovely, isn't she? And you see that in the garden. In the garden, Adam is tilling the earth with the Lord, and Adam's work is focused outward. So he's naming the creatures. He's organizing the garden. He's setting up creation. Why? So Eve can flourish and bear life. And that's the beautiful complementarity of the man and the woman. As he, prote he protects and he provides and he guards, just the way that man's body is made, it's more angular, it's more square. They're physically stronger, and that's okay. <laughs> Because that's the way that God has made them, you know? I played Division I volleyball for many years, and I spent a lot of years in the weight room, and I was pretty strong. I used to be able to go to the gun show. I can only go to the squirt gun show now, so that's all, there, that's all we got going here. But, you know, if I got into an arm wrestling match with a man, he'd probably win. And I mean, you know what? That's fine, man, because you're stronger than me. That's okay, you know? That, that's all right. It's okay. Because it's the way that God has made men, and it's beautiful, because that strength is a sign of his interior strength, what? To generate life outside himself and to protect the garden so Eve can flourish and grow. And I don't know about you, but we need our land protected and guarded so we can grow. And it's in that beautiful reality of, of who he is and of who she is that new, the new life flourishes forth. And you see that in the garden as, as Adam is tilling the garden, he's naming the animals, and then what happens is God creates Eve in the, in the second uh, account of, of creation, and he creates her and he presents her to the man. So Eve's first experience as a human person is being delighted in. The whole language of Genesis changes. It goes from a story to literally poetry, where Adam is so just dumbfounded by her beauty that he says, this one at last, like this one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one at last. And ladies, that is the deepest desire of our heart, is to be found beautiful and to be found lovely and to be wanted and to be desired. And, you know, and this, it's, you know, kind of a joke, but, you know, sometimes when I'm talking to men, and uh, gentlemen, can I just say, when your girlfriend or your wife asks you if she looks fat and that, that's not what she's asking you about. <laughs> you know, she's not asking you if she looks fat. What she's asking you is, do you find me beautiful? Am I desirable? Even after all the kids we've had, my body doesn't look like it did when it was 25 when we got married, but am I still beautiful to you? That's what she's really asking. And you see that ordered even toward little girls. At the, at the daycare that I ran, you can see it's so, and it's not stereotypical, there's a profound difference in how boys play and how girls play. And there is a lot of overlap in those places, but there are some profound differences that are not social constructs. They're in the, because we are wired differently as men and women, where men, your deepest question is not, am I beautiful <laughs> or am I desirable? I mean, men want to know if they're desirable, of course, but a man's deepest question because of where he's coming from is, am I strong enough? Do I have what it takes? which is my men do not like to be criticized or emasculated or mocked in that certain way. 
You know, even the way that boys bully each other and the way that girls bully each other is, is profoundly different. You know? We're for a man, for, you know, so for example, let me give you this example. So at our, at our, at our daycare in Seattle, we had a lot of dress-ups. So we, and not every girl goes through a dress-up phase, and she doesn't go, not every girl goes through a princess phase, but a lot of them do. And so we had the best dress-up. We had the best, like, glittery wigs, and we had high heels. I mean, we had the best ever, because I bought it all. So we had, like, the best ever. And so, you know, don't get in between little girls and dress-up on a Tuesday afternoon, and they will take, the girls will take you out. They will run you over to get to the dress-up. And so... The girls are like tearing through all the gowns and they're like putting on the high heels and the boys, what they're doing in the meantime is that the boxes are emptied out. The boys are stacking up the boxes beside the couch to see how far they can jump over the box, okay, before one of them crashes on it. It's just so great. So I catch one of the boys on the couch. I'm like, what, what are you doing? Like, get, you know, so they're trying to launch themselves over all the empty dress-up boxes to see how far they can possibly go, you know? And so for, for little boys, like that's, it's a different story. The, the question of what they have, they want to be strong enough. They want to know what they have, what it takes. But what would happen is the little girls would dress up and across the hall was this massive, in the elementary school was this massive mirror. And I don't know why they did that, but this huge mirror. And the girls would always, always go to the mirror and they'd be lost in a dream, already lost. Like, okay, I'm Princess Elsa and you're the dog. You can be the dog, okay? So and then, like, they're like putting bows in each other's hair and they're just chattering away about all these different things, you know, and they're twirling around. And inevitably, inevitably, they would always come up to one of us. And they would say, just in all purity and all sincerity, sister, do I look beautiful? Do I look lovely? And I can honestly tell you, in every instance, without any hint of anything that's not true, I could look at them and say, baby, you look beautiful. You look like a princess. You're so lovely. And you could just see her whole countenance bloom like a flower. Because that's the truth. She's so lovely. And can I just say right now, I, I, I just want to say this to you. I, I have the best seat in the house right now because I can see all of your beautiful faces. And all of you are very different. And as it should be, it's like looking at a field of wildflowers and how lovely that is and how each of you are unique and precious and unrepeatable and the way that God has made you as women. Like we talked about how Jesus... He, he makes, the Holy Spirit makes Jesus present in each one of us in a certain way, and especially as you ladies. The way that you're called to mother, the way that you're called to be a sister, the way that you're called to live as daughter, the gift of your life in the world as a feminine woman, is who you are, it's particular just to you. It's, you know, very, do you know one of the ways that you first identified your mother for the first six months of your life as a baby? By what she smelled like. The sense of smell is one of the most powerful reminders of memory that we have. Because your little eyes couldn't see her yet. But you've been hearing her voice for a long time in the womb. And you could smell her. And that's how you knew who your mama was. And that, the truth of that reality of when you, when you watch women as we grow... And we talk about the four identities, when we talk about a human person, we talk about four identities. And as for us, so as daughters, or for us as women... Our identities are daughter, so we come into the world as daughters. It's re, they're all received identities. We come through to the world as daughters. From there, we become sisters, whether biological sisters or sisters in humanity. From there, we're called to be brides, which every single woman, whether she's married on earth or not, is called to be a bride, is to give your, the gift of yourself to another. And the fourth is mother. And every single woman, whether she bears biological children or not, she's called to be a mother. And so what are some of the things that we learn 
in these respective identities. And for men, it's, it's very similar. So a man comes into the world as a son. Every single man comes into the world and receives identity as a son, and that's the deepest part of who he is. From there, he becomes a brother. From there, every man, whether he gets married here on earth or gives his life for the church as a priest or however that is, he's called to be a bridegroom, a groom, a man who gives himself for others, and then from that becomes father. So we could understand, my dear friends, of how if we talked about mother and father as the most mature identity of who we are, we could understand how if in our life we haven't had the building blocks necessary to live out that identity, we could see how, let's be very honest, how in, if we look at our mom and dads, for example, we could just see some major areas of brokenness, right? Because what happens, how they're trying to live up here hasn't been able to be sustained by what's down here. So if we could look at it like a house, if you look at your identity as a son or a daughter here at the foundation, and the first level is son or um, sister and brother, the second level is you know, wife or uh, bridegroom or groom, and then the one is mother and father at the top, we're talking about the foundation and we're talking about the roof. So if you have any house troubles in your house, usually they're at the foundation or the roof. That's usually where the problems are, and it's true in our life as well that when we're having a lot of issues out here, it's usually because there's something happening in the foundation, and I don't think there's a woman alive in this room who hasn't seen Chip and Joanna Gaines rebuild some houses on HGTV, you know? And it's very interesting when you look at that show Fixer Upper or any sort of the HGTV houses, like that's house renovation is very big right now. You, what you'll find is that, you know, a couple comes, they buy this house, and somebody redoes, that, redoes it for them, and many times what happens is after the inspection, after the inspection or during the inspection, they find that there are deep issues with the structural foundation. There's either missing, it's, it's shocking what houses, you know, lack. Either there's missing beams, the foundation is cracked, there's termites, okay? And so the people that are renovating the house have to go back to the owner and they say, hey, here's the deal. We didn't know this when you bought the house, okay? And how many of us in life have had things happen to us and we say, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't sign up for that part, okay? So there's, there's something that has to be done. And so the, the, the people renovating the house will say, it's going to cost you about 30 grand. Do you want to do this? Do you want to get rid of the house? Do you want to spend an extra 30 grand to rebuild the foundation? Okay. And the buyer, it's up to the buyer. And this is what the Lord is doing in your life and my life, my dear brothers and sisters, is he's going down to our foundations like we've been talking about extensively and will continue to do so as the day progresses, is that he's going down to the foundations and he's asking, do you want me to renovate this? <laughs> because you know very well that when something is off, it's off because there's a structural problem and the more the structural problem, the more that structure is broken, the more difficult it's gonna to be to sustain this up here. So what are some of the things that we learn as daughters, as sons and daughters, okay? And these are similar for men and women. It's lived, it's lived out a little differently, but it's, they're similar. So as a daughter, here, ladies, here are some characteristics that we learn, and men as well. We learn how to trust. We learn how to receive. We learn how to enjoy. We learn how to play. And we learn how to obey, okay? So trust, receive, enjoy, play, and obey. And this is not exhaustive, obviously we learn other things. But when we talk about, I wanna talk about a couple of them especially because it might help understand, make sense of what you're facing today, okay? Because as daughters, when we're dependent and we're open and we're receptive, you know, children are literally helpless. They're, they're not self-sufficient, they can't do things on their own. 
And so what we learn is, we learn about trust, we learn about receptivity, we learn about enjoying, we learn about carefree. I mean, for the first two years of your life, after you were born, the first two years of your life, your whole desire was to be the delight of somebody's heart. And you know it's true because when you watch little kids when they're first learning how to walk, whether boys or girls, I see this at the airport all the time. I spend so much time in airports and just watching like, you know, mom is exhausted with the kid and the kid's just toddling, learning how to walk. And, and, so, and so she's standing there and the little boy sees her, little girl sees her and they start walking toward mama, you know, she's like, oh, come on, baby, you know, come on. In. And the, the whole face of the toddler, it just lights up. It's called the joy center of your brain. It's right here in the front of your brain. And did you know that part of your brain still continues to grow? which is why you'll always be attracted to joy. Because joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Joy is an attribute of God. So that whole reality of trust, of are you dependable? You learn about God. That's why parenting is the most important job on the face of the earth, because children learn about God through you. They learn, is God trustworthy? Is God good? And inevitably, every parent's going to fail. Nobody's perfect. But that reality of you and I learning about who God is, about safety, about security, your body knows when it's safe. Your body will actually release when it's safe. Your body will, will, will pull back in anxiety when it's not. You learn that when you cried, ideally somebody came to your assistance. Somebody heard your cry. Some, the people were good to you. And like all of us, some of us have had really some really hard situations happen with mom and dad. Because mom and dad are people and mom and dad have their own stories. When we talk about ideally what happens in that reality of, of learning how to be a daughter, so you can see now, for example, I know in my own heart, areas of my heart where I have a hard time trusting or areas of my heart where I have a hard time receiving, I know for myself personally, it goes all the way back to the womb for me. It goes all the way back. And so I'm continually asking the Lord to come and heal me in these places. So if you're listening to me and you're thinking to yourself, oh, yeah, I didn't have that or didn't have that, that's okay. Because the beautiful thing is that God lives outside of time. That he lives outside of time. So there's not a single moment in your life that God is not currently present in and that he has not been in. And that means he can heal everything. Which is stunning. Okay. So from there, we grow in our relationship as daughters or as sisters or brothers. So what do we learn there? We learn how to share, right? How to challenge, how to support, and how to belong. So you learn how do you be a girl among girls and how do you be a guy among guys. We learn how to be people to each other. And it's no coincidence that in the Song of Songs, which is the, the beautiful love poetry in the heart of the Bible, the Song of Songs, why the bridegroom, when he sings over her, he says, you have stolen my heart, you ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. Because he sees her as a, as a human, a fellow human, as someone who is common in humanity. Somebody who has value and worth and dignity and grace for her own right, not because of what she gives to him, but in her own beauty, her own sovereignty. Every single one of us has a space in our heart that is reserved just for God alone, where he is sovereign. It's, it's an interior space of our heart where, where no one else has access. It's the most tender, beautiful place where the Lord dwells within us. It is the inner chamber. It is the wine cellar. It is the quiet room where you and he dwell alone together. And every single person has to be revered as such. We are not each other's possessions. You know, we don't own other people. People are gifts to us. They're not possessive. We're not possessions. And don't we know what it feels like when somebody's trying to possess us? We're like, ugh, I don't like that. You know? Even God himself doesn't try to possess us. He's not grasping at us. 
He's so lovely. And now he invites us to a relationship. But love is always based in freedom. So that's what we learn. We learn how to receive other people, how to see other people, their goodness, their beauty, to revere them, to respect them. We learn how to appropriately challenge people when, when they're out of line or when they're off, or we can say in love, hey, I, I see you're doing this, or hey, this isn't right, can I talk to you about this? It's not like calling people out, it's calling people up, and we all need that at times. We need people in our life to say, hey, I, I see, you know, you're living a lie here. What you're believing about yourself is not true. All of us need that, okay? So, from the foundation, and the first part of our house comes the ability to give the gift of ourself because that's the deepest part of the human being is to make a self-gift to another. And we do that as husbands and wives, whether that's physically here in the sacrament of marriage where we do it as spiritually as a religious sister or a priest or in, in our hearts as single people where we give our life for something else. And all of us want to make a self-gift. John Paul II writes extensively about that reality of every single one of us wants to make a gift of ourselves. We want to do something important with our life, to know that our life matters. And you know that in your own heart because there are days when you go to bed at night where you've had moments where you could have given the gift of yourself or you could have been a bit more charitable and you didn't, you chose to be selfish instead. We all had those moments and none of us are proud of that. <laughs> Nobody's ever gone to bed saying, I know I haven't. I'm so glad I was selfish in that place. That, that really worked out well. <laughs> it never does. And when we're honest, we can see like, oh, I was afraid. I, I was afraid if I let that person ahead of me in line, or I was afraid if I let them think they were right. That they, it's just funny what we do, okay? But like these places, we desire to give ourselves as a self-gift. So what do we learn in that regard? As brides, as husbands, and, or sorry, as wives and husbands, we learn how to be intimate, how to be chaste, how to be self-giving, and how to be united. And when we talk about chastity, what we're talking about is love rightly ordered, love that is not lustful or possessive, but love that sees the good of the other and love that is rightly ordered, okay? Everybody wants to be loved like that. And we learn that life is not all about us very quickly. If you get married or you give your life, you give the gift of yourself, you learn very quickly, which you probably learned as a child, but you learn in a very special way, I think in a marriage or in a religious community or in the priesthood or however you give the gift of yourself, you learn very quickly that life is not all about you. And I remember this woman uh, some time ago, her daughter had just gotten married and she, I saw her at a retreat and, and the mom was laughing. Her daughter was like 24 years old. She's like, sister, I have to tell you this. My daughter got married a week ago and she called her mom on the phone. And she's like, mom, mom, guess what? I'm learning how to die to myself. And her mom's like, oh, tell me. She's like, my husband squeezes the toothpaste tube in the middle and I can't stand it. <laughs> she's like, I haven't killed him yet. I'm learning how to die to myself. <laughs> and the mom's like, you go, honey. Like, <laughs> you got a ways to go, but yeah, that's true. Like, he squeezes a toothpaste tube in the middle. You know, it's like people do things differently than you. You know, and it's like, how do you, how do you learn how to see other people and receive them, you know, and try to work out those little things and, and give the gift of yourself, okay? Because it's from that maturity, my dear friends, it's from that mature gift of self that new life can come forth, okay? So you talk about the proper order of supernatural, you talk about the proper order of nature, of the covenant, and then from the covenant comes children, okay? And as mothers and fathers, what do we learn? We learn how to generate, how to provide, how to guard, how to guide, and how to bless. Right? How to generate, how to provide, how to guard, how to guide, and how to bless. And this is where life really becomes not just about us anymore. A mature love can take care of somebody else and ourselves at the same time. But it's learning to look out for somebody else, to watch over them, to guard them, and to guide them, and then to give them the space where they can grow. And so when we talk about the areas of our hearts that have been wounded, 
and the, the areas of our hearts that perhaps have been mm, broken by, say, a mom and dad or some different things in our life, well, we're talking about areas where, where love has been lacking. Because like we said, it's all, it goes all about love, about communion, okay? And what we can do is we can see in our hearts in different places where the people in our life, and I'll talk more about that in forgiveness, where the people in our life who should have loved us better just didn't, or they couldn't. They couldn't. Um, there's a really another, another great quote from Edith Stein, and she says this, especially about women. So ladies, I, I resonated with this, and I think you can too. She said, none of us women, any of us really, but none of us women are completely free of this fierce tendency to grasp and control. <laughs> Every woman has something in herself inherited from Eve, and she must search for the way from Eve to Mary. There is a bit of defiance in each woman which does not want to humble itself under any sovereignty. In each, there is something of that desire which reaches for the forbidden fruit. <laughs> and I think I see that in my own heart, you know, in different ways of where women, because our gift is relationships and we're experts in relationship, what John Paul II says, this is also where we're broken. Where many times we try to grasp at people or relationships or from the garden after the fall where it says, you know, your desire will be for your husband and he will dominate over you. That is not the desire of God. That's the brokenness of humanity where women become so obsessed with relationships and controlling other people that what we do is we like squelch the life out of them versus allowing them to become free as receiving them as gift. A woman's best heart is she receives the other as a gift. She receives them, she blesses them, and then she gives them back to God. And that beautiful reality of, of what Mary, our, our mother, is teaching us and about that beautiful characteristic of femininity where many poets say that a woman makes the world more human. She makes the world more humane. And this is why when we go to women, we expect a certain kindness from them, which is why when women are really hard or really cold, it's why it's especially off-putting to us because we know in our heart that women are made to be soft and strong and tender and secure and loving. And when a woman's heart has been so wounded, where she feels the only way to protect herself and the only way to survive is to be harsh and cold and cunning and vindictive, I don't know about you, but I think that's probably the worst kind of poverty. The worst kind. And I remember many years ago, I was at a women's conference and the speaker there, she was talking about Our Lady and she was talking about some of these very things. And she said that she always had a difficult time with our Blessed Mother. And she's a, she was a mom of like six kids at the time, and so she was really trying to raise her kids well, but she had some own, her own issues with her own mom. And she said she always had such a difficult time relating to Our Lady, because Our Lady is perfect, and, she, and there were some distortions there. But she's like, I couldn't really quite relate to her. And she's like, I always had this image. She's like, I always saw Our Lady as a woman who was seated on a grand couch in the foyer of a huge castle. At the entrance of this grand walkway outside, and she was beautifully coiffed, and she had a long evening gown on with pearls, and she was waiting for the driver to come pick her up for a dinner party, and she was immaculate. And she said, I always saw myself as a little five-year-old girl with grape jelly on her fingers. <laughs> and she's like, I always saw myself kind of like toddling toward Our Lady with grape jelly, all messy, all icky, all like hair messed up, and she's like, I always saw myself as this little girl like with these grape jelly fingers. And she's like, it was always my fear that Mary would be like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't touch mommy. Don't, like, wait, 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 let me clean you up first. Like, push her away, you know? And so she said it just, because that's how she grew up, right? That was how her mom treated her. And her mom didn't have time for her mess. And her mom has a story, too, and her mom was broken. And that distance, that pushing away of her, wounded her little girl heart immensely. 
And so now here she is, a mom of six, and she's struggling. And she said one day she decided finally that she would take that image to prayer. And so she sat before the Blessed Sacrament, and she once again pictured Our Lady as this beautiful, like, grand woman, you know, seated on this couch waiting for the driver to come pick her up. And she said, there I was again with my jelly fingers. <laughs> and I was approaching Mary with my jelly fingers. And she's like, what happened next changed my whole life. She said, because when I actually let Mary speak to me, she didn't push me away. She reached down and she scooped me up on her lap and put me right on her heart. And she's like, she let me play with her pearls. <laughs> and she said, I got grape jelly all over them. <laughs> and Mary just laughed. She just laughed. That, that is the beauty of the feminine genius. And when, I don't think there's anybody who's ever seen the passion of the Christ when you watch Mary walk with Jesus all the way to the cross. Every woman, you just start to weep and you watch her. She walks along with Jesus. She never leaves him for a second. You talk about the strength of a woman, the strength of her heart. She will not give up on her children. And you watch Mary walk with Jesus and that moment that, oh my goodness, one of the most piercing moments of the entire film is when Jesus falls for the third time. And he's carrying that beam and he's bloody and he's swollen and he's, he's, he's just horrific to look at. And as he falls for the third time, the way Mel Gibson filmed that is it's so lyrical, it's, it's in slow motion. And you know exactly what is about to happen. And as Mary is watching him trip and fall, in her memory, she remembers a time when he was a little boy. And she takes off running toward him. And in her memory and in her heart, she's running out toward him like this. And as she runs toward the streets of Calvary, right on the way to Calvary, she runs toward him. And in her memory, she scoops up her little baby who fell, who fell outside and she scoops him up and she kisses him and she makes it all better. And this time she can't. But she runs all the way toward him as he falls to the ground and the weight of the cross just collapses upon him, just smashes his head into the ground. She runs right up to him. And I love it because women aren't afraid to suffer like this. She doesn't turn away. She doesn't chicken out. She goes right for his face and she gets right in his face. And she wants to put her hands on his face and he reaches toward her first and he puts a bloody hand on her face and he says, woman, I make all things new. I make all things new. And this, my dear sisters, this is how we love. This is how we love. That in our life, we're not going to excuse the behavior of the people or say that it doesn't matter. We can say that something hurts tremendously. And we can do what is right and just and good. And we can remain at the foot of the cross and surrender that person, surrender our hearts to the Lord and ask him to take care of that situation. That we are not people who abandon others. We will allow the Lord to do whatever he needs to do in their heart because we are not the person who's going to fix them. It is the Lord who comes to love them. But through our hearts, my dear sisters, through our hearts, would that we not allow the places that have been hard or wounded or parts of our hearts like that, but where the love of God can flow freely for her beauty can, can flow freely through that. And this is what the world needs. This tender witness, this truth of who we are, and the beautiful thing is that in your life and my life, like we said, none of us had a perfect mama. <laughs> like we said, our moms are just moms. And they're just people. 
And some of them are really broken. And some of them had no idea what it meant to be a mama. And wherever they are today, my dear friends, wherever your mother is today, whether she's sitting next to you here today, whether she's alive and she's far away, or whether she's living before God himself, she's alive. And she's a person. And I wonder if it's okay with you, if we were just to allow Jesus just to speak to your heart about your mom, I wonder what he would say. Because this last quote here, and I'm just going to invite you just to a space to let Jesus speak to you, but Carol Hauslander, just beautiful poet, she writes this. She says, Mary is not wearied in our littleness. Her smile comes down to us like a benediction through the sea of flickering candles. And she blesses our wildflowers withering at her feet. For each of us to her is another Christ. Each of us to Mary is her only child. It is therefore not tedious to her to hear the trifles that we bring her, to look at the bruises that we bring to her, and seeing our wound of sin to heal it. Mary's perfection, it doesn't make her farther away from us, it makes her closer to us. Because see, it's sin that breaks and divides. Grace and love always brings communion. So she's a woman who's perfectly alive. She has no issues. She won't push you away. She won't judge you. She won't criticize you. She'll tell you the truth. And she'll do it in love. She won't leave you. She won't forsake you. She won't emasculate you, men. She won't grasp onto you. She won't try to live her dreams through you. She beholds you. And she receives you in the very same way she receives her son. So we do have a mama who knows what it means to be a woman. And I ask her all the time, Mary, teach me what it means to be a woman because I don't know. I don't know. Teach me what it means to be a bride and a mother. Teach me how to love your son. Teach me how to love the people you send me. Teach me what it means to be a sister. I, I don't know. And I need you to teach me. And some of the biggest lessons have been teaching me about my own mother. I'm like, Mary, you have to teach me about my own mom. Teach me about my biological mother. Teach me about my foster mother. Because I don't know. Would you teach me, right? So would it be okay with you? Um, and I do this because I really believe, like I said, the most important thing that you're going to hear is not what I'm going to say, and I know that. I know the most important thing you're going to hear is what the Lord speaks to you in these places. So if it's okay with you, can I just invite you, I just once again, to close your eyes if that feels comfortable with you. And if it's okay, would you just bring your mother, wherever your mama is, whether she's here on earth or she's here before God in heaven, but would you bring your mother with you to the foot of the cross with the Lord? And you can place her wherever you want. You can place your mama right next to you, or if it's been painful, you need to have some space, that's okay, you can put her somewhere else. But would you bring your mother with you to the foot of the cross? And just look at Jesus. And I just want to invite you, my dear friends, just in the safety of this space, is there anything you want to tell your mom? Is there something that you've always wanted to tell her, something that she needs to know? 
It may be something you're grateful for, maybe a way she's hurt you that you've never been able to express. But in the safety of this place, would you be willing to look at your mom and just tell her, tell her whatever's on your heart today. What do you want her to know? What do you want her to know about your heart and her heart? If it's okay, I'm just going to ask Jesus just to, to speak to us about our mothers. So Jesus, I just pray as we look upon your face, you whose heart heals. Jesus, what do you want us to know about our mothers? And could you speak to our hearts right here? What do you want us to know about them and your love for them? would you be willing, my dear friends, today to just surrender your mom to the Lord? Whether you knew her or not, or whether wherever she is, would you just be willing to just imagine yourself just taking her gently and placing her into the heart of Jesus? And just asking him to care for her, because she probably really needs it. Lord, we commend our moms to you. We commend these women who, who gave us life, whether spiritually or biologically. We commend them to you, Lord, and we ask that wherever they are right now, that you would heal them. That we, as your sons and daughters, Lord, would receive healing in our hearts from you in these places. Lord, we're very sorry for any ways we've judged them or or been very difficult toward them. Lord, I ask that you would heal us, help us understand the depths of our hearts there and heal us in these places. And Mother Mary, I just pray in a very special way you would intercede for us. We surrender to you, Lord, and we ask you would take care of this. You would bless us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the feminine heart that you've created. We thank you for her nurturing, her strength, her goodness, her receptivity, her kindness, her beauty. We just pray a special blessing upon every woman ever created throughout time, Lord. We ask a special blessing of the healing of our brothers, the healing of their masculine heart, and the strength that they reveal, Lord, of your own heart. And I just pray right now for a healing of your families, healing of your marriages, any place in your heart that, that needs healing in either a masculine or feminine way. I just ask, Lord, that you would be the Lord of our hearts here. Heal the places where we don't experience ourselves as good. 
and his beloved. We just ask for a continued openness of heart, Lord. That we would surrender our hearts to you and to bring us to ever-deepening levels of joy and communion and belonging to you. As we pray, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of Peace, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One thing that I, I wanted to say before we have a little break and before we begin our next talk, I just want to be very attentive to these places of your heart, because I know these are deep waters, and these are probably things maybe you haven't thought of in a long time, or just some new things, and so I just want to offer you a special kindness to your heart. I want to invite you also just to take some time just to ponder, maybe to journal about some of these things, because these are important. These are like the jewels of your heart, and these things matter, okay? So just to give you that space of, you know, just whatever you need to do just to kind of help your heart open and to stay in that place, I just want to offer you that space and just to let you know that your hearts are captivatingly beautiful. And the work that God is doing them is exquisite. And he who has begun a good work will see it to completion. So, thank you. Sister Marian Hydrick on the healing power of the Holy Spirit from the Charismatic Retreat held at St. Peter Cathedral on May 23rd and 24th. Next Saturday at 7 p.m. you'll hear part four of the series right here on WNOA 103.9 FM, Catholic Radio for the UP. Only one thing is necessary. <laughs>